Super Talk Mississippi media production. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making Coast of Mississippi such an amazing place to live work and play. Hey, we have a very special guest today. We'll come to that in just a second. I just want to share a couple of quick quotes with you that have been posted on social media recently, and each of them hit me in different ways. Uh, the first one is from my friend Susan Griggs. Again, we used to work together at the Sun-Herald. We used to publish the Keesler News there, so we had a great relationship with uh, Keesler Air Force Base, and Susan was one of the reasons for that, so we stay in touch these days, and she's just a really good person. Here's what she posted. You carry so much love in your heart. Give some to yourself. <laughs> you know, when, when uh, Robbie D'Angelo and I visit, we talk, we talk a lot about how, you know, he's a, he's a fitness guy, but, but he doesn't like being called a fitness guy because he says most of the success that he has with the people that he coaches has more to do with the way they think than what they do in their exercise routines. And uh, so, you know, in a way, that's what he's saying. He's saying we need to give a little love to ourselves and focus on that, and that when we do that, we can be, we can be much better for the people around us. Calvin Ishii, who's a regular listener of the show and lives in past Christian, he posted this uh, about, this is a quote that I'm going to share from Matthew McConaughey, and what he says about it is something to ponder Life's not always fair. Do your best. Think the best. Be your best, regardless of the situation. And here's the quote from Matthew McConaughey. Life is not fair. It never was. It isn't now. And it won't ever be. Do not fall into the trap, the entitlement trap of feeling like you're a victim. You are not. You know, that seems a little bit like tough love in a way. But in a way, that's true. That, that you know, we're never going to have the perfect scenario and that, as Kyle and I have talked about so many times in the past, I think one of the keys to enjoying life is just really appreciating the past, maybe learning from the past, not worrying too much about the future, but living in the moment today. And, uh, you know, if you wait for everything to be fair, you, you may actually wait a very long time. Um, you know, a few years ago, my wife Ann and I went to St. Michael's, our church, uh, over on the Point of Biloxi, and uh, a wonderful speaker there, Father Jim Sishko, was there, and he's you know widely known. Uh, goes around uh, you know giving speeches. He gives money out. He does some amazing things. But he said this: Don't judge. Nobody has it easy. Everybody has problems. You never know what what people are going through. So before you start judging, criticizing, and mocking others, remember everybody is fighting their own battle. I always thought that was pretty pretty incredible that, you know, we're too quick to judge others. And frankly, I'll be honest with you, as you have heard me say many times before, social media has a way of uh, making it so you don't have to look someone in the eyes and you don't have to really be empathetic to them. People are really, really quick to react and say things they probably wouldn't say to somebody in person. But, you know, the reality is that everyone's going through some something. We should all show a little bit more compassion, empathy walk a mile in someone else's feet, uh, shoes, that's that's always been a kind of a powerful thing to say from, from my perspective. But anyway, uh, just food for thought to start the show out today. Hey, listen, we have a terrific guest today. I've been really looking forward to this. 
Steve Phillips used to work for WLOX. We'll get into some of his past here in a second. It's amazing to me, actually, that he retired back in 2017 because in my mind's eye, I can literally see him still on WLOX TV news. So without any further ado, let me welcome my friend Steve Phillips to the show. And we're going to spend the whole show kind of looking back. How you doing, Steve? I'm doing great, Ricky. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. Where are you right now? Daphne, Alabama. <laughs> okay. So where where at now? In Daphne, in Alabama. Daphne, yeah. Uh-huh. I loved, you know, I, when I was publisher of the Mobile Press Register, I used to spend a lot of time in that county. In fact, most people may not realize that Baldwin County is one of the largest by miles in the entire United States. Um, it's one of the and fastest so, growing right now, too. Isn't it incredible? Yes. I mean, you think about, you know, one of the things, I had the, the honor of leading the oil recovery planning efforts for Dr. Uh, for, doctor, for, for Governor uh, Riley. We had over a thousand people involved in that effort, and we actually designed the effort after what we did here in Katrina, which you and I are going to talk about in just a second. Behind, we, we designed it after the Governor's Commission on Recovery, Rebuilding, and Renewal here in Mississippi. But one of the things I used to say as I traveled the state talking about the, the recovery effort in Alabama from the oil spill was that 25% of the entire revenue, t- tourism revenue for the state came from Baldwin County, the lower portion of Baldwin County, the beach area, in three months. That's how critical the recovery, and that's how big the impact was of the oil spill. But you know that. You've you've studied that area and really understand it's a really d- wonderfully diverse county, isn't it? It really is. And like I said, so fast growing that I can't believe they're, they're planning subdivisions everywhere around here. It seems that everybody wants to come to Baldwin County, which is great. It's a wonderful place to live. And as you said, the southern portion, Gulf Shores, Orange Beach, uh, tourist, you know, tourist mecca, if you will. And that's where the that's where the t- tax dollars come from uh, during tourist season. And everybody knows that. Well, one of the things after our oil spill uh, recovery planning effort, we came to the realization and sort of looking at where they are now, that region of the state of Alabama, is that traditionally Baldwin sort of did their thing and Mobile County sort of did their thing. And we realized sort of like we learned here from Katrina that uh, we needed sort of a regional planning organization, a regional business organization. The Gulf Coast Business Council was was born here in coastal Mississippi after Hurricane Katrina. And in much the same way that we had that realization in Alabama, we formed the Coastal Alabama Partnership there in coastal Alabama. I, w- I was pleased to be the founding chairman of that group, but it continues to hit on a bunch of cylinders that is a, such an important part of this state, of that state, and just as the coast is such an important part of the state here in Mississippi. Um, but anyway, you live in a wonderful place. Um, so, St- Steve, when you look back, does it feel like, like okay, you heard what I said at the beginning, 2017. It seems like yesterday, doesn't it? It does seem like yesterday, Ricky. I mean, the, the time just flew by these past five years. Uh my wife, Julie, and I are busy watching our grandchildren, so that uh, that takes up all our time. That's a full-time job in and of itself. We watch them every day, uh, you know, Monday through Friday, like nine hours a day, which is a great joy. It's, uh, it's why I retired uh, early and why I was able to retire early. My wife retired from the city of Biloxi, where she was an accountant for 25 years, and we moved over here. Uh, we have an only child, a daughter, Amanda, and she and her husband, Jean, uh, lived in Daphne, bought a home over here, and then after their son was born, the wheels started in motion that my wife and I were able to, to retire and come over here, and we're just loving every minute of it. 
Well, you know, it's interesting. I, that's that's literally what drove my retirement. I, I was fortunate enough to be able to retire in my 50s. And uh, what drove it, though, was, first of all, I'd been on a treadmill for a long, long time. You know, the, it was certainly Hurricane Katrina and then my experience in Alabama and then went over to, to New Orleans and led some of the more certainly cutting edge digital efforts, certainly also controversial, but all of what we were planning toward back then has sort of come true actually in the industry, unfortunately. But, but I was, uh, you know, I was tired and, uh, and the reality was our grandkids, we had four now were, were young and they lived nearby and Ann and I have just eaten up the opportunity to spend more time with them. We've kept them, you know, until they each started school and it's just been one of the biggest joys in our life. It reminds you what in life is important, doesn't it, my friend? It really does. It reminds you that you know what what is important. And we're blessed uh, that we that we had this opportunity to watch our two grandchildren, five year old and a two year old. And boy, they'll keep you young. I'll tell you, keep you on your toes. And but just what a great blessing it's been to to be able to watch them every day. Uh, uh, Cole, our grandson, goes to preschool, so we we don't have him for about half the day. But then he comes home from preschool all wired and ready to go. And we pay a lot of visits to the parks. They've got some wonderful park facilities around here. And of course, we're finding all the we found all the kid-friendly things here in Baldwin County and, and even in Mobile, and just uh, it's just a great joy. Well, listen, most people may not realize this because you you were such a mainstay on WLOX for such a long period of time. They may not realize that you're actually not from this area. You, you grew up in the Germantown Hills area of Peoria, Illinois. What was that like? <laughs> Peoria, Illinois. Yeah, we were on the outskirts. We were about, uh, my home was about 15 miles outside of Peoria, which of course was the big city to me growing up. Uh, I grew up in a very rural atmosphere. My dad was raised on a farm, one of 12 children. Uh, and it, that was a big part of our lives, uh, you know, visits to the farm and and uh, seeing that way of life. I, I grew up, my first jobs were uh, baling hay and pulling weeds out of the bean fields and things like that, that, that a farm boy would do. I mean, I didn't live on a farm per se, but my dad did, like I said, and, the, and my grandfather and grandmother's farm was real close to us. So just wonderful memories, though, back then of uh, of being almost a farm kid without being a farm kid. <laughs> hey, listen, I remember it's, it's it, when you said bailing hell, it just conjured up just this vivid memory. My father's brother, who was we were so close to up until his death, um, had a horse farm and he raised some cattle as well. So bailing hay was a big deal, man. And uh, I remember when I was about 10 or 12, he asked me to, to join him. This was up in Birmingham on the outskirts, outskirts of Birmingham and, and do bail, uh, you know, bail some hay. Dude, I literally thought I was going to die. I mean, it was it was the hottest, toughest job I've ever had in my life. And I have uh, from that, I have immense respect for what farmers go through. Listen, we're having a, a, a conversation with Steve Phillips, former reporter for WLOX. He's been retired since 2017. We're touching base with Steve and seeing how he's doing. And we're going to relive some memories at WLOX. We'll see you after this break. Listen live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Supertalk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to, to uh, 
Coach, you almost said Super Talk Outdoors, my other show that we recorded this morning. I had the opportunity to have Steve Phillips with us today. He was a reporter at WLOX for a number of years. He retired in 2017, as we discussed in the front in the first section. He uh, he's really enjoyed retirement, spending time with his with his grandchildren, and it's just been a terrific time for him. But uh, but you know he was he was a mainstay at WLOX, and when we went to break, we talked about him growing up in Pierre on the outskirts of Pierre 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 Illinois. Excuse go. me. Um, and you uh, you went to Southern Illinois University, you got a degree in radio and television, and like so many other people, whether it's a journalism degree or radio and television degree, early in your career, you have to be willing to move around a bit. Yeah, that's just the way the industry works, but you're lucky, like a lot of others, to kind of ultimately land at WLOX, and then there, your full career here in coastal Mississippi began to play out, but you did have the opportunity to bounce around a little bit and learn, didn't you? I did indeed, and that, those were some you know, there were some great learning experiences. Uh, looking back, and you know how you kind of form your journalism skills, if you will, out of college. First station I worked at was in a small little town in the South Central Illinois called Pana, P-A-N-A, Pana, Illinois, W-K-X-K, a country station. That was my very first job out of college. Uh, I was a one-person news department. Uh, I lived above the Woolworths in downtown Pena. I think my rent was about 110 bucks a month, something like that. <laughs> my pay was not very much, of course. We didn't make hardly anything, but uh, but what a great time it was, those few years that I spent there. You know, get up in the, in the morning, the first thing I'd do is go down to the police department, read through the police reports and that kind of thing. And uh, it was small town radio for sure. In fact, we had, uh, here's how small town it was. And this is familiar with a lot of small stations did this. We had a hospital report, which I had to read, all the people that were in the hospital. And then they had actually funeral notices, which I read, who passed away over the past couple of days. And, and you know, small town folks, they depended on us for that type of information, that and the, the weekly newspaper, which they had. You know what's interesting, Steve? Here you talk about that. That's what I would refer to as micro-local news. But it's interesting, even in the age of the digital tsunami, which is literally changing, it certainly has changed newspapers dramatically, at least the printed side of newspapers and the, their ability to afford large you know, uh, you know, newsrooms full of journalists to be out and cover the community. It's 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 affected radio. It's affected new uh, TV stations. Certainly not radio. It has not affected radio and TV to the greatest as great an extent as it has affected the newspapers. But, but the key to success, even today, in the midst of all of that, is still being able to serve the local communities. I mean, it's all about the successes in local news, and that really hasn't changed much, has it? No, it really hasn't. And, and back to Pena, I mean, go down to the coffee shop in the morning. That's where all the, you know, the, the older fellows would gather and have their coffee. And I'd go down there and sit among them and, you know, pick up some news tips. What's going on? What are they talking about? What do they care about? If it was during political season, and I've always had a, a passion for politics, local politics, uh, got involved with that. So I decided to do some profiles of the candidates there. And they said, well, that had not been done before. And they really thought that was pretty neat. And I thought, well, you know, I'm enjoying it. And so I profiled all the city council candidates candidates, if you will, the mayoral candidates, and just had a blast. It was just that small town feel, like you said, hyper-local, and uh, what a great training ground for me as well to kind of start there and, you know, just kind of hone my journalistic skills a bit, uh, start to grow them, and then, you know, move on up to, to the next TV set or next radio station in this case, because I was in radio for 12 years. So I went from Pena to Peoria, Illinois, which was essentially my hometown, worked a few years there, and then... Uh, 
I was laid off. The economy in Peoria at the time was bad. Unemployment was 16%. I was a low man on the totem pole at this particular TV sta- or radio station. Lost my job there. And then it was in the winter. And my wife and I, I looked at an old, there was a publication, industry publication called Radio and Records. So I would look at that. It'd have the job openings posted. And I saw a posting opening in Jacksonville, Florida. And I asked my wife, how does Jacksonville, Florida sound? Well, with winter coming on in Illinois, it sounded pretty good. So I applied for that job. A guy by the name of Mark Davis hired me. Uh, He was a great mentor to me. I worked in Jacksonville for about, I think it was five years or so. Mark is now, uh, he's he's enjoyed a tremendous success. He uh, has a talk show in Dallas, Texas, and he would fill in for Rush Limbaugh on occasion. So he's a conservative talk show host and has done quite well and just a great guy. And I still kind of stay in touch with him, but he was a great mentor to me during those years. Well, you know what's interesting? And then, of course, when you came to, to this market here in coastal Mississippi, you actually worked for a radio station then. That's what brought you here. It's 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 not highly usual, actually, for someone to have a career in radio and then suddenly move over to TV. Yeah, it was. Uh, I worked at K99. K99, uh, Rick Mize was my uh, program director. Bob Lima was the general manager at the time. Bob's the one who hired me from Florida. I had great... Uh, uh, great memories of K99. We started out in Pascagoula and on, in an old funeral home building. And then uh, they moved, they built the new studio in D'Iberville. And uh, I was there for you know the, the rest of the time. But uh, that was a great learning experience as well. I had a couple people on my new staff and uh, we tr- tried our best to cover coastal Mississippi. And I think we did a pretty good job. And, and Rick Mize was a great boss and uh, enjoyed my time there. But then I I was kind of looking more down the road, you know, where do, I, where do I want to be in a few years? And so many radio stations were cutting their new staffs. And it was not unusual back in the day when I first started, some of the larger stations would have, you know, six or 10 person news departments. Well, that was you know, not happening any longer. They were cutting back. They were lucky to have one or two. So I thought, hmm, I better look at my future options. And I always liked WLOX and got to know some of the reporters there, of course. And I said, I'm going to apply for a job there. And I asked, uh, I think it was Brad Kessie told me when there was an opening. It was actually for a weekend assignment editor slash reporter. And I said, well, I didn't know what that was exactly, but it sounded good to me. And I remember uh, we lived in Ocean Springs at the time. I remember taking my, my home RCA VHS player and cutting a little demo tape, if you will, on my back deck. Just I wrote a script and was reading some script for Dave Vincent into this little VHS and sent him the VHS tape, and then we had an interview after that, and he liked me enough to hire me. So, <laughs> And that was in 1992. You know, you mentioned about the changes in radio, and, the, and it's true that the scale, you know, they've gone to scale, large scale, so a lot of automation involved in it. That's one of the things that kind of drew, drew me to Supertalk Mississippi Media. Uh, Stephen Davenport, who owns the station, owns 26 radio stations across the state. Twelve are part of the Supertalk Mississippi radio network, and there are 12 very strategically located stations. So they can feed from Jackson like the governor wants to talk or the lieutenant governor or the speaker of the house or any. That's where they go. That's that's They go to that studio, uh, the Supertalk Mississippi studio, to, to get their message out to the rest of the state. And then they have, they still have a news effort. They have a news effort that pulls from those store, those uh, those conversations, 
and feeds it to the 26 radio stations that Steve owns and an additional 25 other stations that are part of the Super Talk Mississippi uh, radio network, our news network, and that's over 50 stations that are wow. getting that news effort. You just don't see that kind of a vision. They're the ones who asked me to do this show, Coast View, because they felt so it was so important to have conversations locally and to and to really drive the kind of news that, that we're driving here locally. And, uh, you know, frank, frankly, they waited almost five months for me to decide I needed to do this because at first I told them no. But that's great vision. You just don't see that in the radio industry anymore, do you? No, no unfortunately, that's a, that's a great setup that you that you describe, I'll tell you. And, and Coast View's been such a great program, uh, uh, you know, great, very successful. Congratulations on success. Uh, I, I watch and listen to it uh, quite frequently and helps me kind of stay connected to the Mississippi Gulf Coast, which I love so much. So, well, f- well frankly, that's what connected the two of us. Even, we were friends on Facebook for sure, mm-hmm. but... You know, you you made some comments, and we 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 had some you know some exchanges, and it hit me. Wow, you'd be a great guest on on Coast View because there's so many memories, so much to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. So when you landed at WLOX in 1992, never in your wildest imagination could you have imagined that you would spend your rest of your career there. No, really, no. It was. It, I thought it was going to be kind of a stepping stone, but I'll be honest with you. I mean, I I love the place. I love the people that I worked with. Uh, it, it's interesting because WLOX was always a small station, but really kind of on a larger scale because our ownership had the foresight to give us the tools that we needed. I mean, we had all the toys, the satellite truck, the live trucks that that stations, you know, sometimes twice our size. They didn't have as much as we did. So it was wonderful, and, and Dave was a great uh, Dave was a great leader, Dave Vincent, and uh, we we just had a super staff there, people that I you know are still great friends, and I still stay connected with, and uh, I just really enjoyed my years at WLOX, and uh, there were just a lot of different opportunities for me. I, I just enjoyed really general assignment reporting, and I fell in love with photography. That's uh, it, it happened there at WLOX. I've always kind of liked photography, but I decided you know I really want to learn to shoot. And then I started to pay attention to our best shooters. Uh, Mike Flippy Flip was the, the, was the best, the best in the game. So I would watch his work, you know, critically from a learning standpoint. You know, wow, that's a great shot. How did he do that? And I learned to shoot and actually got fairly proficient at it. And then I say probably about the last 10 years that I was at WLX, and I was totally, totally there 25 years. But I say about the last 10, I shot all my own stories, pretty wow, much every incredible. one of them. And, Mike and, Felipe, and I got, I I got to know him. I got to know him really well. He, uh, he, his, his kid and my kid went to school together, so we we crossed paths many, many times. But he was also a mainstay. There were a lot of mainstays at WLX. It's rare because you guys, this this path of moving through and then moving on to other. Certainly, some reporters did, but but there was this like core group that stayed there. It's very unusual in your business. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Steve Phillips. We'll see you after this break. on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. 
Welcome back to Coast View. I have my friend Steve Phillips with us. He retired in 2017, but like I said at the beginning of the show, it seems like it was just yesterday that he was on the air at WLOX reporting. He was literally a mainstay there. You could always look to Steve to very calmly sort of give you the story of the day on a wide variety of, of, of stories. Um, I mean, the BP oil spill, Katrina. I mean, Katrina, my goodness, what a life-changing event that was. Steve, before we talk about Katrina, in fact, Let's uh, chat for just a bit about Hurricane Ian and the aftermath of Hurricane Ian. Yeah, I think people are just now beginning to sort of understand that these were not um, these were not areas that didn't have a lot of density of population or homes where where this storm hit. It, we're talking about an area that uh, at the scope of somewhere in the in the range of 1.5 million people, tremendously more people hit, impacted by that storm than was than was impacted by Katrina, at least in terms of the the the, the bigger impact. Um, I wrote a piece for Coastview, and it's uh, from a Katrina survivor to her to a Hurricane Ian survivor, and I had that. I may share it on an upcoming uh, upcoming show, but uh, it's at the uh, Ricky Matthews Coastview site if you want to read it. And I've submitted it to some of the newspapers in the surrounding Sanibel, Fort Myers, and those areas there. And it's my 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 point is that as t- tough as it is, as difficult as as it is. That as the debris is clear, they will find hope and they will find their sense of purpose and a, and a dogged determination to rebuild. And um, and and it will it's coming. And it's basically said, trust me, that it's coming. But it's hard to watch that, isn't it? Knowing what what they're up against, isn't it? It really is. It's just you know, it's flashbacks. You know, time when you when you see the the horrible video down from the Fort Myers Fort Myers Beach area. And I had a chance to read your essay online this morning that you shared to, with the victims of Hurricane Ian. And it, it was very eloquent and just just spot on. And what they need to hear to give them some hope and some inspiration. Because I was reading that and I was kind of reliving you know what I experienced during the storm and you know a, a lot of similarities. But uh, you you hit the nail on the head, boy, when the the help comes and it'll give them a bit of hope when to see all these, you know, I, I'll never forget the tremendous outpouring of support and volunteers that came to the Mississippi Gulf Coast for years on end. I mean, I was amazed. And, and the same thing's going to happen in Florida. They need to hang in there. You you told the story about seeing a, a, an injured squirrel that was obviously dazed and confused after the storm. That kind of hit a note with you. I remember the same kind of thing. I was uh, driving down this was probably the day after we somehow made it to Jackson County. I was down by Gulf Park Estates and just this this German shepherd just came out of nowhere and it was clearly just, you know, what has happened? I don't know where it came from, how it survived, but it looked, you know, like it had been through hell and I'm sure it had. And it just, the little things like that kind of stick with you. Well, it, it, well you know, I just felt like um, letting people know that there are others in America who know what they're going through. And we've made it through. For the most part, we made it through. And we did build back bigger and better. And they will, too. And as, as difficult it is, as it is, as it is now. You know, hope hope is coming. I called the volunteers. I've, I've talked about it here on this show all the time. But one of the reasons we're so we're so resilient in this in this community is because neighbor helps neighbor, and we've actually seen that play out in so many different ways. But but we could not have rebuilt had it not been for the volunteer army that came. I mean, it was truly remarkable. 
I mean, you, so many different nonprofits that you, as you pointed out, stayed here for years. They'll see the same thing. I know that it's almost impossible to see that in the early days. All, all you can think about is what was lost, but then you come to the realization somewhere along the way that buildings don't make the community the people do. And with, with hope and inspiration and true dogged determination, they're going to be able to rebuild. And they'll rebuild bigger and better. And it's going to be grueling, but it's also going to be inspiring. And that was kind of the point I wanted to make. But we saw that after Katrina, didn't we? We really did. And, and boy, you just, like I said, you said it so eloquently, the, the people that came after that, that's, you know, they gave me hope. I mean, and I'm sure they gave countless others hope. Uh, the, the volunteers that would come and, you know, tear out wet sheetrock and gut a house, if you will. I can't tell you how many stories I did like that. And I think one reporter at some point said, uh, and I don't even remember who it was, but they said they were kind of tired of doing these volunteer stories. And I never grew tired of that. I loved every one of those stories because each one was different. Each one, these key people came for different reasons and so forth, you know, from, from other countries, from certainly other states, from all across the United States. I love doing those stories because it just, you know, I, I, I felt that it would give people more hope and inspiration. And certainly the people at Ian right now, they think they face this insurmountable challenge. And that's what it looks like right now. But like you said, with time is going to come some hope. And as the aid pours in, and the volunteers come to their area, uh, things will start to look a little bit brighter, although it doesn't look very good right now, I know. One one other quick point. This is not a political show, and this is not to meant to be a political comment I'm about to make. But if you look at some of the national coverage of the event, they're already trying to sort of divide the community. Um, you know, even the vice president made some comment about that the recovery should be race based. It's really unfortunate because, as I said in that piece, and as we learned here in coastal Mississippi. Um, Katrina redefined poor. You know, Katrina. Katrina was an equal opportunity destroyer. Everybody needs help, and uh, I mean, there is no you know, all the social, economic, and political boundaries that existed before Ian hit. Those don't exist now, and it's unfortunate the national press tries to put that frame on it. I saw that after Hurricane Katrina multiple times. And uh, But, you know, the good news is we never got sucked into that vortex for the most part here in coastal Mississippi. We just stayed focused on getting ourselves out of this mess. And I think the fact that it was really playing out in New Orleans the way that it was playing out, people wanted to put that frame on us. And for the most part, mm -hmm. we didn't let them put that frame on us. And we, at the end of the day, we really didn't even care what the rest of the world was saying. <laughs> what we really focused <laughs> on was... Do we have enough volunteers? Is the federal government focused? And do we have the leadership aligned in this community to help us move forward? And we did. And that, and that's that buoyed us and it gave us hope. And uh, but, you know, social media and the political dimension and Ron DeSantis is potentially a likely presidential candidate. And all these things loom and make it a little bit more complicated. It, that is for sure. So any other thoughts before we shift gears? That's just unfortunate that that happens, as you said, but they need to just keep their eyes on, you know, what's important. And that is the recovery effort and, you know, getting getting the job done bit by bit, because that's what it's going to take. You know, the thing that uh, the thing that served me as the publisher of the Sun-Herald in the wake of Katrina was having the opportunity to, to serve on the governor's commission and to go to public meetings and get to see people and talk to them and see what was on their mind. And when you can look people who are who are feeling pain and in the midst of the recovery, um, when you can see them in their eyes, it gives you it gives you a sense of what you should be doing as a reporter. And you saw that every single day, day in and day out. And it made you a better reporter. It also made your reporting apply to the real situation and not, you know, covering the story from some part, some 
you 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 literally were on top of the story, weren't you? Yeah, we were out there every day. And I, one of the one piece that I did with a, with a photographer Travis Alford, who was one of our best shooters at the time, great photographer. We were down in East Biloxi near the Church of the Redeemer, and we got out. And it's the first time I'd laid eyes on that area down there. I said, you know what, Travis, we're just going to do a walk around here. Just turn your camera on, roll, and just follow my lead. And, and he's the best at doing that. And I ended up with a nine and a half minute piece, me walking around the rubble that was left of the church, the Katrina Memorial down there, other things. And that I got more comments about that particular piece because we were able to air the whole thing because, you know, we didn't have so many time constraints with this wall to wall, you know, post hurricane coverage. And uh, I'll just never forget that. And I, and I think the reason it resonated with people because it was heartfelt. I mean, I was almost choking up seeing some yeah. of these things for the yeah. first time and trying to convey that to the viewer. And uh, I still remember it to this day. And uh, like I said, uh, I think it resonated with a lot of folks. Well, Steve, you cared deeply when you were a reporter and it showed. And, you know, when you have empathy and you were in you and you work to get into the trenches with people so you can really honestly understand and tell their story. That's what it's all about. By the way, the point of Alexa is where my wife was from and her mother's home obviously was wiped off the face of the earth. Well, nine of 11 homes in my family were destroyed. Mm -hmm. But this, you know what? That's a, that's everyone has a story like that. <laughs> few, yeah. few people were untouched by Katrina. But again, what we learned about the resiliency of the of the human spirit is it will carry with us the rest of our lives. And, it was, and frankly, it's one of the reasons why when people come here for cruising the coast, for example, they see in us something special. They they can't always put the words to it, but it's that experience, that sense of community that they see, you know, sort of combined with Southern hospitality on top of that. That's what makes us such a special place, isn't it? It really is. The people were the best there, are the best there. That's one of the things that was a great joy of my job there, of reporting for 30-some years or 25 years, plus, plus my radio years, just the people of South Mississippi, just, just great folks. And just, you know, I, I just have so many great friendships there, people that I came across uh, out doing stories and just uh, just enjoyed it so much. Hey, see, when as a reporter... When you went out within a day or so after the storm and began to take it all in, why don't we do this? We're, com we're coming to the end of the segment. We'll cover this in the final segment, and we'll also talk about the BP oil spill and anything else that sticks out in your mind. But we're having a terrific conversation with Steve Phillips. He retired from WLOX in 2017. Seems like it was just yesterday. After a really great and long career, the people of Coastal Mississippi trusted Steve greatly. And uh, it's good to, good to catch up with him and look back. We'll see you after this break. Live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say Alexa. Open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I have my friend Steve Phillips, formerly with WLOX, and we're just looking back and uh, and just having a conversation about life as a reporter. Obviously, we've spent a lot of time talking about Katrina because what a defining moment for a reporter. I, I got to see that firsthand as the publisher of the Sun-Herald. But Steve, when you got out and walked around and you took it all in, 
and you saw the reports coming in from your you know fellow reporters what was going through your mind it was just it was just overwhelming ricky i mean i just um, i don't know how to describe it it was just i couldn't believe that it was that bad and you know everywhere we went it seems the next few hours we'd find a place that got it even worse uh, one a neighborhood that stands up in my mind for some reason uh, greg mcneese uh, he was a great photographer as well. He, he passed away suddenly and uh, was a great friend of mine and often shot stories with me. Uh, he and I ventured into Diagraville. We were off of Racetrack Road and uh, a neighborhood down there, which was virtually gone and uh, met some folks down there. And, and they were just they were stunned, obviously, because it was the first time they've been able to come back. And and uh, I was struck by there, there was a young girl. She was maybe 12 and uh talking to her mom and just essentially, you know, what happened to our house kind of thing. And it's like, it's enough just to break, you know, to break into tears. I mean, to try to hold yourself together and try to do a story was, it, that was difficult. I mean, that was a challenge at times just because you're seeing this and you, you have empathy for these people who are your friends and neighbors. And uh, that particular area sticks out in my mind as, you know, there's so many memories, but uh, you just had to go do your job and sometimes just had to maybe sit back and take a deep breath and just kind of, you know, have a pity party for a second and then get back out there and get to it. Definitely a lot of tears in the early days, that is for sure. And I told people, man, it's okay to cry. It's, you want to cry. Yeah. We actually had a counselor that worked at the Sun-Herald um, for maybe six months, maybe longer. You know, every day, I mean, employees at first kind of hid that they needed to get in there, but then people would stand in line and they it was just completely acceptable that this person was there to help them process what was such so difficult 67 employees at the sun hero lost everything they owned and uh, and some family members and many of them lost friends so it was just just a terrible time for coastal mississippi but as we discussed earlier we uh, we cer certainly as my friend josh morgan pointed out to me we were definitely the phoenix that rose from the action that is for sure so uh, anyway, let's just move to, you know, when the BP oil spill what hit, what I sort of talked about is like this silent hurricane. You couldn't see it. It was just, it was just out there boiling, and we knew some impact was going to happen. But that was also ominous, wasn't it? It really was. And I, the memory I have from that is actually my wife and I were on vacation. We were in San Francisco when the actual accident occurred. And uh, I remember seeing that on the news, and I thought, "Oh boy, that's gonna that's gonna affect us." And uh, we were at, toward the end of our vacation and got back, and of course, the we didn't know then the enormity of the of the impact there, and so many memories from covering that. I mean, going out on the islands in particular, because I was always up for a boat trip when I worked at WLOX. In fact, Marsha Hill, my former colleague, used to call me Nethead because I loved doing fishing stories and shrimp season and all that. So anytime there was a boat story, oh, send Steve. And Steve was always about it because I loved being out on the water. But going out to Horn Island and things with the cleanup crews and so forth, just kind of heartbreaking to see all that, the, the, the blobs of oil, the solid oil, the mucky oil, just everything. It was it was nasty. And then uh, another memory that I have from that is uh, I had the opportunity to go out uh, and fly over the oil spill in a Black Hawk helicopter. Myself and several other journalists, Jamie Bates, I know from the Sun Herald was on the trip. Uh, I can't remember who was there from, from uh, XXV. But to go over there and shoot video of the actual oil spill area itself, that was like, that's when it really hit home with me. And then uh, 
I'm glad that I was steady on my shooting them because they used that as stock footage. If I had a dime for every time they used that, I'd be a millionaire because they used it a lot. <laughs> Isn't that something? But, uh, yeah. but it just showed me, you know, just how enormous that whole thing was. I had and, the opportunity. Uh, yeah, well, I was publisher of the, of the press register, as, you, as we discussed earlier, had the opportunity to lead the oil recovery plan efforts of Governor Raleigh. I had the opportunity to go out with the Coast Guard and fly over. And the thing I remember about flying over, besides the, the what that effort looked like, all the boats and you know the things that were involved in the cleanup effort, uh, was the smell that you could smell. The, the, mm-hmm. You could smell the oil. Do you remember that? Oh yeah, very very vividly. Yeah, you definitely could smell it. It was a. Uh, it was just, it was strange, but uh, yeah, that, it just gave me, you know, it, it showed just how widespread it was and how it, what an enormous effort this was going to be to clean up. And thankfully, I, you know, forged the forged some relationships with scientists along the coast, and I always enjoyed getting that aspect of it from them, from yeah. uh, from USM, the Gulf, the, the Gulf Coast Research Lab, and, and folks like that who had a kind of a unique take on things from a scientific standpoint. Uh, as well as obviously reporting from a human standpoint, the things happening to our beaches, our fishing grounds, and so forth. Yeah, they're all part of the blue economy, which I talk about here on on the show all the time. Hey, listen, I was due to fly at the salute to or the Keesler Air Force uh, Air Show with the paratroopers. The goal, I forgot what they were called the, the, to jump an, a, in an airplane. Oh, with a parachute, <laughs> and that oh, didn't wow. happen. That didn't golden happen. Night, the <laughs> I was relieved. Maybe? The one thing about Katrina, it saved me from that moment. But you <laughs> got the chance to fl- fly with the Blue Angels in Jacksonville. You back in 1984. What a great experience that was. But uh, you know, we could keep talking for the for another whole show, Steve. There's so many memories. But listen, it's been great to just catch up with you and see how you're doing, my friend. Thanks very much, Ricky, and boy, continued success on your show. I enjoy it very much, and you're really keeping us informed and having some great guests on, so thank you for that. You bet, man. Among them, you, buddy. Among them, This has been Steve Phillips, a former reporter for WLOX. It's been quite a pleasure to catch catch up with him and see how he's doing these days. Have a great day, and we will see you tomorrow. Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.